Well, let's uh, continue our verticality this morning by turning to 1 Peter chapter 4. Um, there's a few of us who already get what's going on there. Uh, last night we were watching the game and saw, heard the word verticality used. And I thought, that is a cool word. You've got to use that. Hey, thank you for uh, really, seriously, the time of going vertical here. 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, this week, a thought that, uh, or something I'd read from a pastor, just so kind of hits where I'm at as well. Uh, this week he had said, uh, I'm trying to create a church that doesn't just hear the word, but does the word. I mean, not only is that a great statement, but that is biblical. And uh, let's make sure as we dig into the word here this morning, we're not just going at it to hear, but we're going at it with the ears to hear to do. First Peter chapter 4. First Peter is a God-breathed letter penned by the apostle Paul, written to Jewish Christians that were scattered throughout Asia Minor. He's writing to them in a time where life was rough. And he's writing to encourage these Christ followers to stand firm in light of the escalating persecution that they are experiencing. And you can even take a look if you kind of gander at uh, chapter 1, 2. You can see that Peter, just setting some context here, Peter begins by reminding them of the blessings of being one who is in Christ. He talks about also the realities of the call of living as one for Christ. And then he's discussing the various realities of living as a Christ follower in a world, especially in a world setting to where there's persecution that's taking place in your life. And we're going to pick up in chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Let me start reading in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God, I pray as we dig into your word this morning, that we would be hearers for the purpose of knowing that we're called to be doers. Lord, may your spirit just work in each of our lives and this whole unit is a body here just to grasp what it looks like to be a church that brings you glory. May we pursue that. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, let's start in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Wow. That's quite a way to start. Uh, the end of all things is at hand. One of the interesting things about this statement here is uh, not only is it referring, obviously, to the return of Christ and God's plans for it, but the, just, just even the wording of this has this idea that it could come at any time. Any time. And you may be thinking, well, my goodness, they wrote it way back then. That is one big round turn. I mean, it's been some 2,000 years, if you will, since that. What's the deal? Let me just say this. 
the end is right around the corner. And I'm even going to go out on a limb. And I'm just going to let you know how seriously I see this. I think it's within our lifetime. If you do not understand and look at the course of history over time and see the increasing realities of the intensity and the birth pain frequency, we're missing something. Uh, This is a really important statement here for the rest of what we're about to talk about because I think the rest of what we're about to talk about comes under this reality. Listen, friends, the end is right around the corner. Therefore, be self-controlled. Remember, therefore, what's it there for? It's therefore because the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, in light of that, be self-controlled and sober-minded. In other words, if the end is right around the corner, I should be living as though the end is right around the corner. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Christ, John chapter 13, who he's kind of engulfed a whole Sunday on communion. And, and we talked out of there and taking a look at, at just even that aspect where here Christ is on Passover. It was Thursday. Uh, what's the next day after Thursday? Friday. Friday was his crucifixion. What's he going to be doing Thursday night? Because right around the corner is the crucifixion. And I talked and trying to lead us through this idea of what would he say? Who would he get with? What would he be doing? Uh, uh, Closing words, goodbye words are unlike any other words that are stated. And we saw Christ with that. And here it's like the end of all things at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Doug, why live a self-controlled, sober-minded, set-apart life unto Christ? Here's why. The end is right around the corner. It's right around the corner. We live excited. Uh, We live anticipating the right around the corner reality. uh, But yet there's this aspect to where we do live today. Things are happening gone. So we look forward to what's going. But it's not about the golden ticket. It's about the reality, if you will, of the golden ticket in life today. Therefore, live differently today. In fact, in light of the fact that the end is right around the corner. Let me kind of put it this way. I think in verse 7, Peter's point could be stated this way. God's end plan must drive my now plan. God's end plan must drive my now plan, does it? Does God's end plan drive your Monday plan, Tuesday plan, Wednesday plan, Thursday plan, Friday plan? You get that? Listen, friends. As a follower of Christ, God's end plan has to have dramatic total impact on how we live now. God's end plan drives my now plan. The end of all things is at hand for the sake, I'm sorry, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded. Look at this, this is interesting. For the sake of your prayers. Uh, In other words, my now plan includes my prayers. Just consider this. Uh, What if my end plan drives my prayer plans? Uh, Here's might be some prayers and these aren't if you will bad prayers, but just hang with me here God help me succeed in this God make my life comfortable God, could you please take away this stressful situation? God, could you please take away this stressful person? Uh, God, please make parenting Johnny and Susie easier for me Uh, God, please 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 would you please change my spouse? again I'm not saying that those are wrong prayers, but listen in light of this. Uh, Kind of noted, uh, God's end plan driving my now plan prayers. 
God, may I glorify you and represent you rightly now, whatever you bring my way. God, you are in control and I'm not. Would you grow my faith? God, would you help me to become a man, to become a woman of the scripture? God, help me see your working and the maturing of me. God, place me where I can have the greatest impact for you. God, today may I get after the log in my eye, the sin in my own life, and stop being about the speck in everybody else's life. God, may they see you through my loving them. God, may I live today not for my comfort or for my ease, but for your glory. Oh, God, give me a clearer vision of you because you're coming back. The end is near. God's end plan drives my now plan prayers. Let's just go to verse 8. Verse 8. Above all. Very cool statement here. Very important statement. Peter has just said the end of all things is at hand. It should have impact on our life. It should change how we live. Now here he says above all. In other words, what he is about to say is something very important and very important in light of the flow of the context, the end of the hand. Listen, it should have impact on your life. And above all, I have something to say about how you live your life. Above all means it's above. It's like way up there. Can we all agree what he's about to say is a big, big deal? Okay, can you say big, big deal? Okay, here we go. Above all, keep loving. Keep loving. Now, this is in the grammar. This is a, a present active participle. It has a, a, a feel of a verb action to it, but it's present active. In other words, what P- Peter was not saying was, I know that you, you love back then. Way to go. Way to go. That was a great job. He's not saying, he was not saying that. He's not saying, hey, listen, someday in the future, I want for you to keep on loving. He's not saying that. What he is saying is, I want for you now to presently and actively and continuously keep on loving. That means loving now, and that means keep on loving right now. And that means keep on loving now, and then now, and then at lunch, and then this afternoon, and then this evening, and then tomorrow. Oh, by the way, this is a big, big deal. Above all, keep loving. Loving. And now question, keep loving who, you tell me? This is above all. Now, this is the kind of thing the scriptures say, love everyone, love the world, definitely. But I want for us to understand what we are reading right now is an in-house the walls, inside the walls call. In fact, look around. See the people around you? Go ahead, look around. See the people around Let's see people around, around, and around, and around. It's talking to us. For you and I, it's talking to the people that you see. Do you realize that above all, in light of the fact that the end is near, above all, God wants for you and I to be people that are loving one another. I love the next word. What's the next word in your Bible? Yeah, earnestly, fervently. 
This is a really important word because this tells us kind of the manner in which. In the Greek, this word carries the idea of stretching, of straining towards something, uh, something of maximum effort. In other words, this is not talking about keep loving one another, kind of like you would out on the beach in the frilly nice day of the flower world. It's not talking about when it's convenient. It's not talking about when you feel like it. It's talking about in the kind of attitude to where it's like aggressively, I'm stretching for this. In fact, this word used to be used in these days of the Bible was written referring to a horse. It was referring to a horse when a horse would be stretching out, running at full bore speed. Got the picture? How are we supposed to be loving one another? Like that. I have to tell you, this one just, when I saw that this week, I'm like, oh my goodness. Do we get this? I just have to tell you, friends, Christian to Christian, uh, faith family within the walls thing here, I just have to say this. Uh, I honestly, I think this is what we so lack in American Christian world today. We love me. We aren't so much about we. This is what it should be looking like within the walls. Fervently, earnestly, with a tenacity where the wind's just coming out of the nostrils and we're pushing to the line. I got to tell you, this is why I've been camping on this series. If we would get more of this as a church family, if God's people all around America, all around the world would get this more, oh my word, friends, John 13, 34 and 35, the new commandment that I give to you that you love one another, i.e. like this, and all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another like this. Our world is yearning for people. Our world is yearning for churches where people love one another like this. That's a huge challenge, isn't it? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. I just say this, as these horizontal relationships within the walls, here's some things I have to understand on this statement in order to be this statement. I biblically understand that everybody within these walls struggles with sin. It just cracks me up sometimes when people talk about, can you believe over at that church? They have some sin problems. Duh. (laughs) Redeemed, not perfect. Listen, just if you're not sure on that, go to Romans chapter 7. Take a look at the Apostle Paul. I want to do what's right, but goodness gracious, it's like I can't do what's right. That's the Apostle Paul. And within these walls, I need to understand that we live within a wall of people who redeemed unto Christ and yet still struggle with sin. That's me and that's you. 
And I need to understand that. And I need to know that. And I need to have that in my mindset. I need to also understand Matthew 7 teaches that we're to be harder on our own sin than we are on other sin. It talks about the log in the eye. It's the log is in my eye and I'm to be viewing you as a speck in your eye. In other words, it's not that I'm necessarily a bigger sinner than you are. It's more this. I'm more concerned about the sin in my life than I am about the sin in your life. I take my sin more seriously than your sin. That's how love can cover a multitude of sins. I realize that you sin. I realize that you sin, that you're going to offend me. And I just want for you to know publicly, friends, listen, I'm going to sin and I'm going to offend you. Are you shocked? I hope not. Redeemed, but not perfect. And so love needs to cover a multitude of sins. I also need to understand that this doesn't mean It doesn't say, let love cover all sin. Listen, the church does need to address sin at times. Brothers and sisters in Christ do need to address sin to one another. We're going to be getting there in a few weeks talking about that within the wall's reality. I just want to ask, since we're right here, just ask this. Are you the kind of person that is highlighting the sin of others in your head or in your words? Are you hard on others' sin and not on your own? Or are you someone that has the attitude and the characteristic that is willing to cover over others' sin? And if it gets to where you can, as we'll be talking, then I want to say this. Matthew 5 it or Matthew 18 it. Go. Go and resolve problems. Learning. Because we all are sinners. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly uh, since love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9. This was last Sunday. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I'm not going to get into it because this is what we covered last Sunday. But love one another with a one another hospitality. Uh, remember hospitality? In the word, if you weren't here, it's two, two, it's a compound word, two parts of a word together. It says uh, the first part of the word is to love. The second part of the word is the stranger. In other words, it's talking about love the stranger. The stranger isn't outside the walls. The quote stranger is inside the walls. In other words, the person that I don't know very well. I'm to be going around and having an attitude. If I don't know you, you are here as it's talking about. You are the stranger. I'm to be someone who is to love you, a stranger within the faith family, as though you are a friend. I'm just to love you. That's to be part of it. And again, I'll make mention, just ask you the question this. I haven't done this, but I'm curious. How you doing with the Sunday challenge that I gave last week? What about parking further away? The reason, again, the reason I did, it's not about the parking further away, even necessarily for the other people. I just want to, it's a way to start out your day coming before you walk in these walls with already realizing that, you know what? I'm going to walk a little bit further so some of my brothers and sisters in Christ can have up front. It's just an attitude for myself. I have no idea. Are the cars parked way out back? Just a suggestion. I'm not getting legalistic about it. Okay? Just the way to think about it. Also, in the Sunday challenge, it was, uh, what about in the halls, maybe before, after a meeting, just one person that you don't know. Just go up, say hi, just love on them, introduce yourselves, get to know them a little bit, and then talk for a bit, and then just love on them. Or did you come in and sit strategically? 
rather than your golden seat with your name tag on it. Come in and sit somewhere with someone. Uh, the other thing I'd made mention is a challenge is once a month. The once a month hospitality challenge. Once a month, if you, if you're single or you or your spouse, would look at inviting one other person, this is all within the walls, one other couple, one other person who's a friend, and then one other person, a couple who you don't know very well. I got to tell you, we had a blast last night over at Ron and Chrissy's house, watching the final four, being able just to be around some people, getting to know some more people, got to know Dan better than I've ever known Dan before, and just some things like that. It was a blast. Listen, that's part of above all. Above all, love one another. And how do we love one another? One of the ways is through biblical hospitality within the walls. Okay, that's verse 9. Let's hit verse 10. Verse 10, as each has received a gift. That's cool. That's very cool. As each has received a gift. I uh, just say this, redeemed one in Christ, do you know that you've been given a gift? Well, yeah. Uh, a time when I uh, came and I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was given the gift of forgiveness. Absolutely. At the time when you received Christ as Savior, I was given the gift of eternal life. Absolutely. At the time of receiving Jesus Christ, I was given the, the gift of the Spirit of God, the sealing and the securing work and the empowering work of the Spirit of God. Absolutely. Yeah, you, all of those are true and more. But it's not talking about those. It's talking about some different kind of a gift. But I just want for us to know, uh, you've been gifted, not punked, gifted. Let me just make a note. I love gifts. I love giving gifts. But let's just be real. I love receiving gifts. You guys? Oh, listen to you. Self-righteous. Everybody doesn't want to go, yeah. Listen, I love receiving gifts. Gifts, receiving gifts are awesome. They really are. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, I say this. uh, Do you know someone who doesn't get the gift-receiving reality? In other words, it's the kind of thing to where maybe you've given or you've watched within your family someone who, who gives a well-thought-out gift. I mean, a very purposed gift. And yet there's the person there who just doesn't get the receiving end of it. And it's kind of like they get it, and it's like, you don't really like that, do you? You're just, as you're watching this. Or you're kind of like, boy, that's not me, when in fact it is so you. Or it's like, what, what am I supposed to do with this gift? Uh, do you have that where there's like someone really hard to buy a gift for in your family? Oh, we so do. <laughs> and it's one of those things where there's a part of it where I look at that and I just go, it's so sad. Because in those situations, here this person has been gifted with like a really well thought out purpose gift. And it's like, you don't get it, do you? I just want to let you know, you've been gifted, Christian. I want for you to be thinking here as we go into this. How are you responding to that? I hope not like the one who's like, oh, that's so sad. They just don't get it, do they? Let's just keep going. Look at this. Let's learn about this gift. As each gift, as each has received a gift, what's the next two words? Use it. Understand, this is a use it gift. There's different kinds of gifts. I'll just give you two. There's shelf gifts, and then there's use it gifts. This is a use it gift. 
This is not the kind of gift that you get and put on a shelf. This isn't a picture. It's not a plaque. It's not a poster. It's not a painting. This is something that you use. Okay, uh, that's a whole different kind of a gift. I love use it gifts. I'm a gadget guy. I'm a hands-on guy. I just like doing stuff. Give me a shovel. There's just, you know, I love use it. kind. Of, maybe not a shovel, but I love use it kind of gifts. Uh, think about this. Use it for what? What's the next two words? To serve. We're learning about this gift that we've been given. You've been given. It is a gift that is intended to be used and is a gift that is intended to be used to serve. Think about serving. Serving means it's not so much that you get all the the 100% of the return of it. A serve gift means that you, you, you gain from it. Other people gain from it. You have been given a gift that's supposed to be used and supposed to be used to serve others. It's a serving gift, not a you-use-it gift. Others gain from it. Others are blessed by it. Now look, use it for who? Use it for others. For what kind of others? What's the next two words? One another. This is an in-house gift. This is a gift that's designed to be used in-house. Uh... God has given you a gift. He has gifted you to serve the people you see in this room. I want to tell you that so impacts how you look and see church. It totally changes how you look and see church. If you're looking for a church or if you've been in the process of looking for a church, there's, there's the right kind of questions you need to be asking and evaluating a church. Questions such as, how is this church structured? Does it fit with the philosophy of ministry and such that we have? Does this church have the kind of teaching? Does it have the kind of ministry opportunities in it? The various things that are structured for me, for my wife, if I'm married, for my kids, if you have kids. And all of those are great questions, and you should be asking them. But listen to me. When you come to the place to where you go, that's my church, all those questions should be bagged. Because now it shifts from, does this church fit who we are, what we want to be about, what we're pursuing after, and then all of me gets bagged and we is replaces it. Now it becomes about this is the place where we believe, I believe that this is the place where we can most verticalically <laughs> serve God. Okay? This is the place. Is that how you view church? Is that how you view this church? I just want to tell you again, we live in a culture where it's all about strip mall Christianity. What are you going to give me? And I want to go and I just want to get that. I want to tell you, the reason I'm camping on this series is I just don't want for us to become a church where it's like, boy, I love their kids' ministries or boy, I love the music or boy, I love the teaching. I want for this to be the kind of place where it's, that's a church and it's holistic. And all of that is part of it, including you using the giftedness that God has given you to serve one another. It's holistic, not compartmentalized. You've been given a gift. Use it to serve 
one another. Why should I think this way, Doug? The next two words. We are on a two-word roll. Because you are to be a good steward. You've been given a gift, and you are to be a good steward of that gift. Look at the next. I love this. A good steward of God's varied grace. The, the term here you could, uh, could be translated in multicolored. Isn't that cool? God's multicolored grace, he's gifted you. That means that God nor his church is to be about producing lemmings. It's not about producing people that all look the same, talk the same, speak the same, do the same, are wired the same, are passionate about the same thing in the big broad spectrum. But God, why didn't God just create one flower and plaster it everywhere? Instead, God created all kinds of flowers. Why not just one tree? We would have got the point, shade and oxygen and the various things. He could have, but he didn't. It's multicolored. It's God's very grace that he's done it with. And God is so that way that he lives that out in his children. Listen, you, this place has been multicolored. I mean, look, you look different. You dress different. You are different. That is a reflection of God's multifaceted, multicolored grace being shown and lived out in his people. God is not about producing lemons. God has sovereignly and purposely many colored his kids. Let's look at verse 11. Because uh, you may be going like, Doug, what are you talking about? Verse 11, here's some examples. Whoever speaks... As do it as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, how much in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to bring him glory and dominion forever and ever. I can't take all the time to, to dig into that, but I just want to say this. I think what Peter is doing here is just giving an example of the prior. He's just kind of letting us see what we're talking about. Listen, to some, God's been gifted with things that kind of have to do with, quote, speaking things. To others, God's really gifted things that are more oriented to the hands-on serving side of things. The gifting, it's from God. The varied grace, it's from God. The very grace gifting put into practice to serve one another, that's definitely a God thing. That's why all of it is for the glory of God. All of it. Amen. You know, that could be translated, so let it be. So it's kind of like Peter said, hey, the end is at hand. It's right around the corner. Live differently because of that. And live differently like this. Above all, I want for you to love one another with that earnestness, that intensity, that fervency. And that love doing that, that includes hospitality to one another. This is all in-house. Loving the stranger as I would a friend within the faith family. Also, that's talking about how this whole aspect of, uh, I'm sorry, what are we just talking about? Serving one another. It's the hospitality and the serving one another thing. And then here he says, I've just said it, now so let it be done. So let it be done. So let it be done. Let me make a statement here. It's not on the screen, but it's in your notes. 
fill in a couple blanks. You've been gifted, believer. You've been gifted by God. You've been gifted by God to serve your faith family. You've been gifted by God to serve your local church. So let it be done. Two things I want to kind of, on application side, I want to talk about for a little bit here. Number one, I want to talk just briefly here about the upside-down world of spiritual gifts. I'm calling it the upside-down world of spiritual gifts. Someday we'll study through spiritual gifts. And I just know, I just know, reading a passage like this, everybody's already cranked up about the whole spiritual gift thing. It's kind of like end times. Whenever you talk about end times of spiritual gifts, everybody, you know, if you've been around church much, it's like you get all cranked up. It's like the horse starts drooling a little bit more. Well, maybe that wasn't so nice of a illustration there. Okay, but that's what goes on. The heartbeat is a little bit faster. Uh, let me just give you a couple of key passages. You can go take a look. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 11 through 13. Those are some key passages. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4 here as well. So if you've been around the local church much, let me just kind of tell you the typical pattern on how the local church handles this topic. Especially in America, it's this way. It's kind of this idea, you've been gifted by God. And you need to discover, therefore, what that gift is. Because if you don't know what you've been gifted by God, you really can't serve him fully, faithfully, and to the maximum capacity that you could if you don't know what that gift is. And this is so important that here's what we're going to do. We're going to take an assessment test. And we're going to have you go in, and I want for you to put down which are the ones that are most like how you think and which ones are the most like you observe yourself doing. And then we're going to run it through the computer and it'll spit it out and it'll come up and back and it'll say, guess what your spiritual gifts are? And it's like, awesome! Those are my gifts! Now where's the places for those gifted people to serve? And what ends up happening in all of this is it ends up becoming so much of a me-centered aspect to it where it's like we come together as a church, we find all the gifts for everybody, and then we send them out to their area. And so if you have the gift of this, then you're over here with all the people who have that gift. And if you're the gift of it, then you're over here with all those people. And so we get all these gifted people in these little cubby holes all around the place, all in their own little world. And people that are just like me get to be with people that are just like me. And people that are just like you get to be with people just like you. Because you know what? I love people that are like me. You know what I'm talking about? I may rock your boat here on this a little bit. That's all right. We, I'm just going to do it enough just to kind of rock your boat and then walk away. <laughs> if it's so important for you and I to know our spiritual gift, why doesn't the Bible say that? 
I would like to ask you if you could search your Bible and find the verse that says it is imperative and absolutely important that you know exactly what gift God has given you. I would really love to know what that verse is. I'm just going to tell you, I don't find it. If that's so important, why doesn't the Bible actually give a full list of the gifts? you realize that people are like, there's nine. No, there's 12. No, there's 16. No, there's 32. No, there's 116. No, there's like, nobody knows how many. Why does the Bible do it that way? Just an observation. I think like in Romans chapter 12, the focus is on the we and not on the me. Romans chapter 12, for I, uh, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not have all the same function. And then it gives an example list of various kinds of gifts. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to each is given a spiritual gift. Why? For the common good. And then there's this list of gifts. By the way, those gifts don't match up with the gifts in the list in Romans chapter 12 exactly with the ones in Ephesians 4, with the ones in 1 Peter chapter 4. And then it goes on in, in 1 Corinthians 12 to say, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Ephesians chapter 4, again, it's about the saints. It's about a unity. Uh, 1 Peter 4, it's about the unity of the whole. Where am I going? I'm going at this. Serve one another, being assured that God has gifted you. And you may go, Doug, I don't know what my spiritual gift. In fact, I would venture to say, if we were put you on the spot and had everybody stand up, and even if you've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and had you stand up and to declare, what is your spiritual gift? I'm going to guess a massive majority of you would not know. And part of what's going on is people are, I don't really know what my giftedness is. I can't really serve God faithfully and fully. Here's where I'm going to rock your boat. So, you don't know. I don't think it's that important. Am I rocking you? Here's what we know. Serve one another. That's what we know. Serve one another. Knowing that God has gifted us with a multivaried giftedness. And when we come as a get as together finding the thing and shooting out in our little compartments, when we come together and we understand some may be knowing their giftedness, some may not be right now. But when we come together and serve together, I'm telling you, that's when your giftedness shows. Uh, Sunday mornings do not happen here based on giftedness. I don't see in the scriptures anywhere where it says that there's a gift for greeting or ushering. Or children's ministry. I don't see in the scriptures where it's even necessarily where it's like everybody up here who sings is gifted in music. Is that a gifting or is that a talent? I don't even want to go there. I'm even going to rock your boat even more. I think probably most of you might say, if you're gracious or in to me, well, Doug, you have the gift of preaching, teaching. I'm not sure I do. I think Josh does. You see, we just have so much of this thing that that it's just the kind of deal where it's like, I've got to know my gift before I can serve and serve well. And the scriptures, I think, in other words, the cart is before the horse. The horse is the fact of this. Serve. Stretched out. Loving one another. 
going after it. <sighs> go, go, go. And we got the card around here. Let's just go. Your giftedness will show. Do you realize that every gift can be used as in greeters? Every gift can be used in children's ministry. Every gift can be used in here on Sunday mornings in the auditorium. Every gift. Here's the point. Serve one another. We know that. Knowing that God has gifted you. I hope for many of you, you're just like, that's relieving. Second item briefly. Oh, let me, the statement challenge. So here's what I would say. Serve where your faith family needs you. Then serve where your passions reside. We have it the other way. I'm going to serve where I'm passionate about. I'm going to serve what I like. I'm going to serve what I want to do. I'm going to serve the thing that's most fun for me and most enjoyable for me. I wish I could do that at home in our family. Don't you? And instead, within the walls, one of the ways that we love one another is we do the faith family stuff together. All of us. Why do Sundays happen here? They happen here because so many of you get that. And I want to thank you. Do you realize I have almost zero pushback on people serving here? It's amazing. Thank you. And God is letting us know. (laughs) Thank you. Seriously. Oh, we're having some fun. Everything's okay. Sorry. Just number two. Let me just finish up. The Harvest Indy West world of serving one another. The Harvest Indy West world of serving one another. I just want to let you know about this, and we're going to wrap it up. Serving is a big deal at Harvest because we think serving is a big deal to God. Okay? Our four pillars will not happen without loving one another serving. In fact, our three W's on the back of your update, the back of the bulletin there, it says worship walk. And what's the third one? Work. I don't get the it's okay that there's an 80-20% rule out there, 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. I just don't get that. And I'm not willing to accept that. And the reason is, is because God doesn't get that. I don't get the whole thing. I'm a member, but I don't have to serve. I've been in churches where that's the case. It's kind of like I want to be part of the faith family and I want to gain from it, but I don't want to do what things need to be done in the faith family. I'm just going to tell you straight up, I don't get that. I just don't get that it's about me, not about we. I want for you to know, if you don't, we have a six-week serving schedule here. And uh, we take this so seriously that if you're a member here, you're on it. You're to be on it. And we have this set up to where it's two weeks and then two weeks and then two weeks. And generally, not everybody, because and this is kind of a 90% rule and all these things where we have other people doing some specific things. 
or for various physical things and so forth. But generally, it's a two weeks they're serving on setup, teardown, or greet or usher, that kind of a thing. A two weeks they're actually off of the uh, kind of, if you will, off of the serving schedule. And two weeks they're in children's ministry. Two weeks they're in children's ministry. You mean like guys do? Yeah, yeah. And I realize for some of you, this two weeks. It's a really hard two weeks. And in fact, you would go, I'm so not gifted in those two weeks for that. And I just want to say, thank you for serving faithfully because that's what a faith family does. Why do we put the emphasis there? I don't have time to go into it, but because I had the opportunity to serve overseeing kindergarten through uh, sixth grade children's ministry on Sunday in a larger church for four years, I began seeing some things out of that. I began seeing couples come into church and the guy would go serve over here and the wife would go serve over here. And I'm like, I want to see couples serving together. And during the week, as they're preparing, they do that together. I love together with couples. Uh, as well as in it, uh, children's ministry is at baby care. Children's ministry is next generation discipleship. And we're all to be about it. Do you realize that Matthew 20, 19 and 20 is happening right over there as well as in here? That's discipleship stuff. And the third thing I'm watching is kids love men. And I remember again and again and again watching the children just cling to men because there were so few of them oftentimes serving. Men aren't necessarily the greatest teachers of kids. We would just have a blast for me. But I want to let you know, we don't do it because there's a spot that needs to be filled and I'm like a dictator. I'm just telling you, we do even those two weeks of children's ministry on purpose because God calls us to love one another and that includes serving one another and we're called to discipleship and we're called to the next generation raising them up. And I just want to tell you, thank you for doing that. And if this is your church home and and you're presently not in a place of serving, uh, let us know. We'd love for you to do that. Why? Because we need holes filled? I'd love to see in the second service. We've got so many kids in pre-K and K-first in the second service right now. We're jammed out. And we need to do something about that. I'd love to get it to where we actually have a fourth rotation so everybody can actually be off a corridor. But that means we need more people. This is about everybody even at the foot of the cross serving together as a faith family. I love that picture. And one of the things about it, it's so unique from almost any other church I've been at anywhere. Thank you for serving. And if you're not, I just want to call you. God wants you to get serving. He really does. Because that's an above all reality. Oh, by the way, the end is at hand.